0: Hello and welcome back to the Wide World of Wargaming Age of Sigmar podcast. As always, we are your hosts, Alex Gonzalez and uh, Garrett, Jeremy, and John, or uh, Johanna tonight. Uh, did I pronounce that right, John? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot that we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about the Riptide GT in uh, Belling, or Bremerton, uh, Washington, as well as a few international events as well uh, across either pond. But before we do so, as always,
1: John, what is on your workbench tonight? Hey, how you doing tonight, Alex? Well, it has not been that long since our last recording, a meager four days. So I can tell you, after the hobby frenzy that I engaged in with our last... uh, podcast, I have actually done no hobbying in the last four days. I did get a third game in the league, as I mentioned last week. So I played against Mr. James Porter and his Oryx with the Big Wah for the third week of our Escalation League over at the Game Castle Mountain View, ran by Sonny Wynn, SB Warhammer. And uh, what can I say? Um, I felt pretty strong going into this one. (sighs) Ah. And then it was places of arcane power. So, unfortunately, <laughs> I was running Nurgle. I thought I would bring a little bit of a fun list since I had pla- painted Horticlus Slimax last week and went ahead and threw him into my list along with a wizard um, and Mr. Gutrot Spume. I brought some uh, Plague Bearers and I brought some uh, Putrid Blight Kings and uh, just. Really didn't have what it takes to take down that big cabbage dragon that was in the middle of the uh, big wall there. And so that thing basically owned objectives and walked all over my army. Uh, nothing against James. You guys will remember that James won the Winter War this last year with his OCR Bone Reapers. Solid player. Uh, in fact, during the entire game, I was super amazed by his very um, exact positioning I didn't even notice it when he was moving, but I went to like measure uh, summon zones and areas where I could grab objectives and what have you. And oh my gosh, every time I measured, he had perfectly zoned me out. So it was uh, very well played on his side. Um, The game itself, he only won by one point. Um, It was one of those things where he got on an objective uh, one turn ahead of me. And so I was one point behind the entire time uh, as far as it goes. Uh, great game. Other than that, uh, you know, friends, with all the sickness and everything going around, I figured that I'd do better do a little something stronger. So I busted out the old Knob Creek single barrel, uh, 120 proof this week, age nine years in a small batch. So something a little bit delightful to enjoy. Though, Jeremy, I was just looking there on your Twitter feed at the Ardbeg Scotch that you got there, the Ultimate Islay Single Malt. I don't even know what that tastes like, but I'm looking at where it says non-chill filtered. And I tell you what, for zero-chill guys like us, that sounds like the right kind of drink. So, uh, Jeremy, is what are you having this week, my friend?
2: Um, well, I'm having the uh, – I cannot pronounce the name of it because it's uh, Gaelish. Uh, but it's uh, the description. If you can't read it on the photo, is Triecle bacon bonfires, and it tastes literally like all those things. Um, the way I would describe it a bit more for for outside of that is it's peaty, but not peaty enough to be overwhelming, and it's got a nice aftertaste. So that does remind me of a little bit of what I would imagine what bacon on a bonfire would taste like. So I'm enjoying yeah. it thoroughly. Uh, you know, if, if uh vegans were tempted by, you know, tasting bacon again, I think the scotch would be a good uh, recommendation. Uh, <laughs> but on my workbench, um, you know, after coming back from Riptide and painting uh, the Gas and so forth for the uh, challenge uh, me and Alex were playing over the event, playing the exact same army list. Uh, mostly it's me trolling him more than anything. Uh, but Yeah, uh, well, you know. We'll yeah. talk about it later. We'll talk about It's not your time. Mm-hmm. It's not your time, Alex. Uh, and then, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm on my workbench right now I'm uh, I'm finishing priming the rest of my uh, Carrot and Overlord that we'll be working on this week. Uh, I'm hoping to play them for Rose City uh, uh I'm also like debating finishing this Belfort Lord's Bloodthirster list even though I know it's not very good just because it seems hilariously fun uh, more than anything um, I don't know we'll see I really want to make Try this, uh, Carrot on Overlord Army at the event. See if I only do three, two, or four, one. I'll be happy with four, one. Uh, three, two seems more likely in terms of uh, plan KO, as best as you can possibly make it. But other than that, yeah, that's on my workbench. And Garrett, what kind of drink are you? Are you having some fine liquor tonight as well?
3: I am not having some fine liquor. I had, some... I disagree, sir, you had some strong. <laughs>
2: anesthesias today
3: <laughs> yeah okay yeah i had some strong anesthesia today so i uh, have 24 hours of no liquor allowed uh, according to my doctor so i am just drinking a nice bottle of root beer Virgil. <laughs> you that
1: everybody else in the world knows that that's when you're supposed to drink right <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh i'm deciding to listen to my doctors these days you know i have to fix these things one way or another uh, but, anyways, on my workbench, I've actually been uh, continuing with my Cities of Sigmar army, um, building up a living city list uh, and adding in. So, I got the Sisters of the Watch there, got my. Finishing up my Celestial Huracanum, and then adding in some Phoenix Guard. And so, mm-hmm. just got to get those finished all built, and then going to start painting them soon. Uh, probably going to use cities in the upcoming league that I'll be doing out here, playing around with them. Definitely going to be bringing uh, my cities list to the Bel Air RTT coming up on March 7th. So going to just see how Living City works with uh, some fun stuff. Played a game with it against James O'Brien earlier and was pretty satisfied with how the list performed. The Phoenix guard are pretty pretty tough uh very, very was pretty yeah, satisfied with how uh well the phoenix guard did did you actually uh, beat James did he play scaven he played his tempest eye list um ah. and I lost due to a prior it was a close game um I ultimately did lose but I it, going into turn four it was 17 to 10 on focal points. And then he tabled me and took the rest of the points, but I was doing very well at staying ahead on the points, control controlling the board, um, but I just couldn't keep up and he beat me. But it was closer than I have done on other uh, times with his Tempest Eye, so I'm going in the right direction. Uh, <laughs> let's say that. So, yeah, that's what I've been working on. Uh, I'm still waiting on my O'Lareal to be finished, painted by my buddy uh, Matt Barker. So we'll see. uh, Once that's done, I'll probably pick up my Sylvanoth again and bring them to a couple of events or whatever. But, yeah, so that's what I've been working on. Uh, Getting really excited to get back in and playing. Probably going to play once or twice a week now and uh, go to a couple more tournaments, trying to have this year be a better showing than last season. So...
2: That's my hope. You. I'm looking forward to your uh, showing up at Rose City Wrath, right? You're coming? Oh, <laughs> 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 no. I,
3: I'm uh, I'm instead saving up to be able to try to go to Forge Hammer up in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, hosted by the basement Warringhammer guys, because that'll be in late April. And I don't think I can af- uh, afford enough wife points to fly to Portland to go to Rose City Wrath, go to RTTs, and hit Forge Hammer. Yeah. All within a month and a half period, so yeah. I feel you, know. uh, so yeah, probably probably gonna have to miss Rose City Wrath. I mean, you guys got so many GTs back to back, I just can't keep up. So, we're gonna, I'm just gonna make some out here and uh, play them out here instead. Yeah,
2: we have, I think we have the wet coast at around the same time as the Phoenix uh, Hammer GT. Oh, jeez. <laughs>
3: oh, well, lucky guys. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I remember you telling me that the the etc guys were just super jelly about all the events you guys go in, and I'm feeling it now. Like,
2: yeah, t- and then the Pacific Northwest for us is like a yearly front loaded like event schedule, basically. Like everything happens before the summer, and then kind of like nothing until like late like Q3, effectively like core, you know. So. Yeah, right now it's just kind of like the crazy season for us in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. We have like, what, two majors, like six GTs and a, like a shit ton of RTTs. And then it basically dies down for the rest of the year after that.
0: Wait, real quick. Who's, what are the, um, what's the second major?
2: Uh, so, Wet Coast will be a major this year. Do we have, are they getting close to the major number? I think it's, that's what they're striving for. I'm not sure. I haven't checked the actual Well, last year they were 36, so this they're only coming. four away
3: from being this a major for uh, last year. So I'd assume if they mm. have any growth at all, they're going to be a major. This
0: yeah. is coming from a guy who A, is planning on going and B, has not bought a ticket yet. So,
2: Well, you better be re-upping your fucking passport first. Oh, yeah, we
0: got to do that. I got a message from our good our good and loving friend, Tasty Taste, from Blood of Kittens sent me a text message last Thursday, and he said, hey, uh, hey Alex, this is a friendly reminder to get your fucking passport updated. Um, so oh, that's I funny. Appreciate <laughs> that. I really appreciated it. Yeah, you know, I don't hear from very often, but when I do, it warms my
2: heart. <laughs> yes, with directional advice. Like, he's like your far away <laughs> remote dad. <laughs> <laughs> he's my uh he's my wargaming dad that's right
0: <clears throat> uh, but what is on my workbench because i'm just gonna ask myself right now um i have uh nothing because well i could i could clean some stuff up but technically i have nothing but maybe doing some extra work repainting uh the nadrite blades on a bunch of more tech and kind of finishing up some more gas that i just um I wanted to be above three-color minimum for Riptide, uh, and so I was working diligently on it, but they're obviously not done yet completely. Um, But not much on the workbench besides that. And, of course, what we had talked about a little earlier, at least John and Jeremy and I, we uh, went through and calculated stats of our entire 2019 ITC season for Age of Sigmar. I don't know if, uh, Garrett, you were able to do that at all, were you? Um, yes and I'll just keep those numbers to myself
1: good That good huh excellent <laughs> it's perfect. Was... don't want don't want to intimidate the rest of us with your amazing winning record I see
0: dude that is yes. just crazy humble of you that's yes. like yeah. great job man
2: from the first ITC uh, AOS winner that's uh, that sounds like I, you don't want put to me, put me to shame I'm guessing it's 95 percent right uh,
3: yeah yeah let let's, let's go with that
0: <laughs> he's like sure yeah. Fuck yeah. We'll, we'll do it that it,
3: what, it was above 50%. I was h- satisfied with that.
2: So, let's <laughs> okay. just say that. <laughs> How are you deprecating yourself? I oh. you, you up for so much. Just let it go. Just be with it. Live with it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I got a goal for this season to at least... I, I, I'm, I set the bar low so that this next season I can actually do better. I just set it real low so it's nice. I can just glide through and at least do better this season.
0: Okay, so you set a very realistic goal for yourself. Um, is there a time frame <laughs> that you have to reach it? Well, I have to,
3: by next season, I have to beat my previous season's total record.
0: Okay, so, you know, you have a long term goal. Let's set up some short term goals here. Let's get some smart goals going while we're at it.
3: Yeah. But uh, yeah. don't what's go your, one and two at my next RTT.
0: Okay, that's the short-term goal. But then, what's the action? What's the action-oriented goal? What's something that we can measure here? Yeah, are you going to get your? Li- are you going Are you going to start building a list in a certain amount of time? <laughs> is that list going to be good? Is it? Uh, you know, you, what are we going to do here for that initial you're step in one?
2: is that what we're having right now. <laughs> no, sorry, I got I got my coach hat on.
1: I got my coach hat on. You're so. like the the worst abusive coach ever. I, I want to crawl in the corner and cry after your repression <laughs> there. Yeah,
2: as long as you give me money,
0: John, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> it's just. You know, it's personalized support and accountability for Garrett.
3: Well, may- maybe I could use a little more uh, pri- private coaching before uh, my next event, Alex. Uh, you pay well, extra
1: for that, though. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, okay. all all
0: extra ser- all 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 additional services are, are a lot extra. Oh, you get his group session. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I'll take what I can get. Truly, what I do is I just I'm just a hand me down version of what Jeremy does for me, anyways. So you know. It's oh, fine. that
2: don't throw yourself short there. But yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
0: Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh well, you know, we uh we do have a lot to get to here, but I just want to before we move forward, uh Garrett, there's there's no insights you want to share at all with the calculations you may have figured out? No? Oh,
3: like it, I I basically had a solid 3-2 for the whole season. I, I just uh, went. Padding about
2: five hundred. That's what matters. Yeah. to the team. Um, But <laughs> yeah, you know, right. it's not very fair, Alex. Are you gonna, you know, ask him to show you uh, show his? Well, you don't even show yours. I did. I posted it on Twitter. Uh, I mean, yeah, but for the audience here, yeah, the actual oh. audience.
0: Well, uh, let's go. Uh, well, let's actually talk to John first, since uh, John might have uh, calculated it out, and he was the first one I believe
1: to tweet it out, or maybe you were, Jeremy. I'm not quite sure. I, uh, I don't know. I think Jeremy, I responded to Jeremy doing his little uh, year-end thing. So actually, that's what started the discussion in our chat, was Jeremy talking about doing a little review himself. It. I didn't have that many games to review myself, so I only had uh, 11 tournaments that I went to last year, so the numbers came out pretty quick. Uh, and it pretty. I was pretty happy with it. I basically have, for wins and ties, uh, I went 73% last year. But if we only count the things after the Skaven Battle Tome, because the first part of the year I was playing my Nurgles. Uh, oh, well, excuse me, Rose City Wrath, where I borrowed uh, Jeremy's Idna Deepkin <laughs> as well. But after the Skaven Battle Tome came out, uh, my actual win tie record was 82% for the year. And uh, I was pretty darn happy with that. So, uh, not bad. I, I guess I'm a basic solid four and one for the year as far as that goes.
2: Yeah. So, um... I'll let Alex go into his first, but there is a story behind why I did this calculation to kick that off because I was very, it's, it's, it's related to the Riptide GT a little bit, but uh, Alex, how did you perform this year? Um,
0: I performed pretty well. I had a 79.1% win rate. Um, I'm actually trying to calculate that out because I only played three factions last season. Um, I played uh just Legion of Sacrament till essentially BAO. Then after BAO, I played Night Hunt straight until Wagapalooza. Um, and then from Wagapalooza on to LVO, I played Bone Reapers. So it's kind of split up into thirds, but- um, Oh, wow. Well, uh, I'd be
1: curious to hear how you did by faction at some point too.
0: Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now, there's a very distinct, uh, uh, I, I made a joke earlier in our chat about when uh, there was a kind of a distinct turnaround point where i stopped playing very mediocre and started getting real um and and that was after nova so i think i was so frustrated with my performance after nova that i made a few tweaks to my list and then after that it was just like things started getting knocked out of the ballpark so i started uh um getting, you know, uh, a lot better with things. And, uh, you know, the first start of the year, it just, I kind of tripped at the finish or tripped at the start outside of the LVO doubles, which was like a pretty hardy lead. Um, overall, you know, it's funny because, uh, out of all of my 53 or, or all of my, um, 67 games that I played, uh, 14 of them were losses and 53 of them were wins. But four of those 14 losses were from Jeremy himself. So uh, – and half of them were from teammates as well. Oh, well so we're, we're that playing,
2: is uh, – Like those facts, all your losses were due to you. You defeated yourself. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. That's fine. That's fine.
1: Okay. Um, and then
0: <laughs> Yeah, but I'll, I'll get those calculations out for you by the uh, – by the end here uh, regarding per faction, because that is a good point. You know, I was pretty consistent with just three factions throughout the entirety of the year. And uh, yeah, that is, that is a uh, pretty interesting there. Uh, how about you, Jeremy? What, what, what are some of your insights? So
2: I'll start with the, the story of why I decided to do this uh, today. Uh, and, and when I posted this, so apparently uh, my second round opponent at Riptide GT um, is this uh, corn player by the name of Anna. She actually, you know, in our game, I'll put it this way. She is a very good corn player and very aware of what a list does, and she plays it very well. But apparently she was so distressed about playing me because I guess like they, her team has basically explained what it's like playing me at a at a game that... Um, she was literally having she had a I guess a kind of like a panic attack about it and then like even like I don't know I'm not gonna exaggerate like I'm only basing this in like secondary like witness accounts here which is that that she basically kind of like almost cried about it effectively like she had to face me uh, and on stream but we managed to like change the stream but it made me uh, so we didn't actually play on that stream for that round. and obviously the game, as you'll probably find out later, was that it was very one-sided. But the, it wasn't because of her playstyle; It was mostly because of the realm. Of game but the point I was trying to get to here in a too-long TLDR was that it made me wonder, like, why people are creating this narrative in my local area about me uh, and what it's like playing me. Uh, because it, it's the second instance to, in that tournament where I heard somebody describe that, when they showed up to the table to play me, like somehow all their years of experience and knowledge and confidence just evaporated showing up to the table playing me. And they started, they've expressed concerns that literally just by playing me, they were having uh, basically they were second guessing decisions, which they would never second guess themselves for before. So the reason why I did the math is because like I don't believe that I have some kind of like, like this kind of like, you know, um, impact on my local region until I saw the math. Like when I did the math, I realized I had a 94% winning rate last year. A 94% winning rate is borderline. Like if you look at that number, you can, I feel like people could accuse me of cheating and i would be upon, behold it upon me to prove that i have not cheated the entire season like nobody walks not even like in the mlb nobody walks away with like a 94 winning rate and the amount of games i've played basically over that season was probably on the upon upon that same level it's it's crazy to me that i've won so many games i played 60 games and won about Fifty-six of them, I think, is where the math comes out. Or and one fifty, and most of them were won with fire slayers. I played Gitz. Technically, my Sylvan f and Gitz uh, performance was a hundred percent success rate. I did not lose any games with at least on the ITC records with those two armies. Uh, I also had a hundred percent winning rate with Slaves of Darkness, which really doesn't count because it was an RTT. And then only. Um, <laughs> two losses I got were or the four out of the two four losses I got were two of them were Nighthawn in the semifinals and two of them were fire Slayers in the finals. So the point of the I'm trying to you know when I started this is looking back is like I had a great season obviously because I won the ITC in that year and I now know there's like a fourth vector or fifth vector I think I guess I guess we could describe it when I go play in tournaments. That if now people recognize me and they're apparently making poor decisions because they're playing against me. And it's a fucking fascinating, like, social experiment for me now. I get to play people and I know I have this additional vector where they're going to second guess every one of their decisions. When (laughs) I play the game thinking that I'm going to assume all the decisions they make is the best possible decision they can make, like, as if I was playing their army. But now I have this like additional little vector I can play, which is that, oh, because they're playing me and they know me, then they're going to make like probably poorer decisions, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. It was a very interesting like thought experiment, basically. But, you know. Wow. It, 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 Jeremy, yeah.
3: you
1: you officially become the boogeyman. You are the boogeyman. You know, it's it's funny, Jeremy, when you were posting this earlier, uh, I made a comment that I'm going to share now. And that's when you walk into a game and you have a 95% rating, that means that 19 out of 20 times you play a game, you are going to win that game. And there is a confidence factor that is going to be almost an aura around you. It's you're walking into a game, not being cocky, but with a proven record that says you will probably win. That has its own intimidating factor for those people. Because if I'm going up against, quote, a top player, somebody with a 95% win rate or close to it then you know i have to immediately question well i don't win that many games so the odds before we drop dice before we look at armies before we pick missions the odds already say you're probably going to beat me in this particular game and i will say that you know you and i have only played one game super fun you're an absolute gentleman i have no complaints against your tabletop above or below the table like absolutely Uh, but (laughs) but you have a problem that is the same problem our good friend friend Vlad has and a few other people, and that's that you know the rules and you're so good at the game that you will, quote, try to help your other player. I personally find that help to be heinous. It Because I'm playing against somebody so good, I get these suggestions that don't mesh with my own strategies and my own way of playing the game, and so I'm left questioning what i'm doing because i feel that a master player has offered me a better suggestion and it's that fight do i resist what he's saying because if i play his game even if it's a better suggestion i'm almost handing over the win um so it's caused this total internal turmoil it's like yes jeremy playing le bogeyman does have a fifth factor to it as you will and that fifth factor is the confidence that you bring to the table and that above table play that is is so gentlemanly but at the same time can throw somebody like myself off our game anyways that's my my two cents on it
0: wow that's good i like that and hey before we jump into the next segment here uh, i do want to let you know john that in the meantime i was able to calculate those numbers or crunch those numbers for you um yeah uh out of my eighteen games for uh out of my eighteen games for Legion of uh, Sacrament uh, at events, four of them were losses with a seventy seven point eight win rate. uh my night hunt, which was uh, far and away the most frequent of my or, or most numerous of all of my games of a total of thirty seven matches, competitive matches. I lost eight of them, so there's a seventy eight point three win rate. And then my final one was OBR. Out of 17 games competitively, I lost two of them
1: with a 90
0: or 89.4% win rate.
1: Wow, wow! And so when you start looking at that from almost like a curve across the year, what we see is continuous improvement throughout the year. And once you settled on those OBR, you just rocked the house. Nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So just a little fun thing here. Uh, you know, this would be cool little uh, uh, stats to add. On something, you know, it'd be something. <laughs> cool, cool to see, you know, a way that like all the data that I found could be aggregated.
1: Yeah. It it got, I mean, let's be honest. How did we get this data? All of us went into the BCP app. We looked at our past events. We were able to scroll back through the entire year and look at our own performances at every event we went to. It was actually really nice. Um, I hadn't even thought of doing it until Jeremy started this suggestion, but now it's going to be a regular thing I do. That is some great information.
0: Yeah, and since if you have the Apple uh, Best Coast Pairings app, uh, you are able to see not just a year, but all the way back historically since you've had the app, you could actually check previous – previous years as well. So I'm even tempted to check out like my first ITC season for AOS, second, third, etc. Um yeah, it's, it's it's pretty interesting stuff here.
2: I I do want to say that I hoped one day in the future that will be the homepage to the app when I log in. It's just like little like little KPIs, dashboards that just tell me how I'm performing during the season. But that's that you know, perhaps someday. Yeah, farm. maybe
1: we'll, we'll figure out a, a capability <laughs> index for you, right? We'll have your, your gaming capability index at the first page.
0: <laughs> you know, too bad we don't have we don't know anyone who's good with UI.
1: Yeah, not at all. Uh, no, no, we no, don't know no. anyone don't who's know good anyone with either. UI. <laughs> we know people are good with the back end, I assure you.
0: <laughs> oh, I was I was I was. never mind. Anyways, <laughs> 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 we're going to move on here right now. Coming straight off from the discussion we had just a little while ago about how there are so many events in the Pacific Northwest, there is, of course, the Riptide GT that just happened this weekend. And that was, again, in Bremerton, Washington at Blue Sky Hobbies, or Blue Wizard Hobbies, I believe, um... At the uh, Helms Deep Tavern in the basement of the event, you know that place is a really great game store. The tavern in the bottom portion of the store is all for gaming. Several rooms for RPGs. They got a bar um, with beer, wine, cider. They had a beer special beer event that weekend with the I believe it's the like Lovecraft brewery had a couple of unique beers there and uh you know they have a whole food menu there too so you don't have to go upstairs and go across the street to somewhere else unless you really want to to get food so it's kind of an all-inclusive package if you will and uh it's, it's a fantastic store and uh you know, Bremerton's a kind of a strange place because it, every time we we're, we're there, it's a navy town, and there's not a lot of people there. But apparently, when the when an aircraft carrier arrives or when a ship arrives that's not you know a mothballed or a repaired ship there, uh, there's a bunch of people out and about. But we've just missed that each time. That being said, uh, a lot of uh, our teammates, the Corsairs, and a lot of good friends like uh, Warhammer Hero Jeremy Srove and others did come up from the Portland area, uh, Portland, Oregon area, to come to this event. Even our good friend and T.O. of uh, the Boise Cup GT uh, and major event for 40K, um, Aaron uh, Albert, he even showed up and flew in from Idaho the, the day before. So, we had a lot of people showing up, and it was an ex- Exact forty person tournament. We talked about it in our last episode. Garrett, you know, you were concerned that we might not have enough people, but we ended up making it. So, uh, you know, it was exactly forty people. They got twenty tables that they were able to squeeze in. Technically, they would they had a room for a few more. So I gave them that feedback for future years to try to give us a little bit more room. But uh, yeah, you know, this event we talked about it a lot yesterday or in our last episode, but we of course want to talk a little bit about how the event was. Now with these type of event reviews, I always want to start with John because John, we talked about the, uh, the event itself. You were not there. Of course you were there in spirit, yep. but you always like to point out certain parts of say the packet, the lists, the missions that you had the most interest in. And sometimes you find things that other people might've just skipped over or rather Something that I might have skipped over, but John, uh,
1: did anything stand out to you with this result? Or with this event, from a bird's eye perspective. Oh, thank you, Alex. Thank you. Um, I'll be honest with you. We kind of covered um, some of the details in our last episode so i really have nothing to add to that uh other than that uh i honestly was mostly i was you know you guys all weekend long i was following the event on bcp i was super curious to see how it went with you and jeremy with your mirror match of course a lot of friends up there as well as uh people that i met at the lvo uh you know like matt beasley and guys like that that uh that were on the live stream. And so there's a lot of people for me to watch. There's a lot of interesting stuff. And of course, in the modern day, I had live streams to watch. I had BCP app to follow the action. I had live tweeting going on. And I had updates via Facebook Messenger constantly. So it was, I, you, it's like you say, I was there in spirit. Um, and that's how it went for me all weekend long. Uh you know, myself just a nice relaxing weekend, went to the range, played some games on Sunday and throughout all of it I was constantly on my phone seeing how you guys were doing. So <laughs> so that was it. That's all I cared about was was what who was ahead and you know, long story short, we'll cut cut to the end. Uh I was not surprised, but I was surprised and we'll we'll leave it at that till more of the story is told.
3: I uh I actually was intrigued by how switching the hidden agenda to be part of the mission would affect the overall placings with the, uh, in people's I was curious to see if the event went as intended with the warlord slay kill and the time point would be able to shake up the placings a lot. And I did see a lot of tied placings like throughout the event Uh, Alex and Jeremy were tied for a long time. Um, And so I'm I'm curious to see how that played out overall as people who participated in the event. But I feel like if there was an intention to have differentiating points, the event probably could have had more things that could have differentiated points because there wasn't a whole lot of shifting in battle points. That was one thing I noticed as the overall final results of the event seeing things play out
0: okay well then let's start off with the well actually to jump on that point um not to get into too much detail because of course we want you know jeremy's perspective and i can always share my own as well on how the event went and especially our thoughts as well on the uh hidden agenda change and the switch up um i will say on my end however uh that I did initially find it to be very unique, and it was incredibly unique. But as I had predicted, there were situations with uh, games, both uh, myself, my own, and uh, a lot of others, where there, you know, those kind of last-minute hidden agendas get squeaking out those final three points, gave people a little bit of a bitter taste in their mouth. Um, and in addition to that, yeah, having those extra points for a uh, hidden agenda in order to get an added spread to avoid a um, as many of the uh, or scores or the um, ties, rather, uh, would have been very helpful.
1: However... Oh, oh wait, Alex, I got to ask you then, because that was my prediction beforehand, was that that mechanic would punish newer and less experienced players a little more than the veterans. Did you find that to be the case? You know, I'm not quite sure.
0: I didn't actually play any relatively new players. I played a lot of players that were rather experienced. Okay. okay. Um, and I wasn't able to touch base with too many of the players that were kind of very, very new um i did play one but i'll talk about that when we go into my day one uh jeremy how did your initial event start
2: uh i, I kind of don't want to really talk about them. okay so fine I'll, I'll go about it um i was a big proponent <laughs> of the hidden agenda to primary missions i think i actually really liked that mechanic and i hope more events use it i thought it was good it was a soft it added the soft touch to the missions, which is that um, sometimes the missions play very, like, one-dimensionally, but they're not actually not one-dimensional. It's just that it adds a bit of, a, like, element you can strive for that basically could give you a chance, a leg up in the mission. So I thought that was greatly delivered. Um, my only problem for the event was uh, the Realmscape features, uh, at least the first two, were super problematic. Um, the first two missions were played. Uh, the realmscape game feature on number one was uh, ignore the Ren modifiers, which is a um, realm of Kaemon. And then the second one was you cannot run, which I believe is realm of life. Uh, and in the first game, I think the ignore Ren helped my opponent more than it helped me because he had no Ren characteristic and I had a lot. But it just like as a mechanic for me, like I got to watch like a KO player, Shane, played like a Nighthawn army. Like, thank God he played a Nighthawn army and it wasn't something else because it was like I felt like KO in a realm feature that have like no you know, we know rans you're just screwed. Like you like what the hell do you do? Like if you played OBR, if that matchup was OBR versus KO, like the KO player has like no answer to anything on the table. Uh, no, they don't. Uh so I felt like that one feature was unfortunate, and then the second one I played—that's when I played Hannah, and she played the the sub allegiance for corn that gives her like basically automatic sixes to run or something. And she since she wasn't able to run, and it was battle for the pass, which is a terrible mission for that realm skip feature. She didn't even get on points—the points in the middle of the table until like turn three for the missions. Basically, From- I
0: gotta. Interject real quick. Um That mission with that realmscape, it wasn't the one where you can't run at all. You could only run if you had the fly keyword. So oh, yeah, right. a corn yes. army without a, a corn army without a bloodthirster, almost nothing's going to be running there. Right. So, Sorry, me, well,
1: now me were those ahead. chosen ahead of time? Did he roll for them real time? Did he? They did were he not roll for them They them?
2: were revealed on the day of the event, John. But, yeah. but how did he
1: choose them? I mean, was this a conscientious decision to match these, or was it, he with dice?
2: It definitely felt that way because they were printed on packets that were revealed to us on the day of. So okay, okay. So he decided like it. Don't get me wrong. The realmscape features add a new dimension to the game because it's it kind of throws the meta and like up in the air. But what came out of the the first two rounds is that the armies that play good, which are good meta lists, are fine. The armies which were at middle tier and S, you know, like bottom tier, I guess in a way. I I really don't like classifying things that way. Um yeah. just did worse. Like they just ended up doing worse than they would usually do. So I'm not a i am not was not a huge proponent of the Zramsky features. Now, in terms of scoring and including it in Genes and the overall yeah. mission was I think that was great. I I do like the secondary points where for context of the audience was that you would get one point if you killed your opponent's uh, general. If your general survived, you get an additional point, and if you finish the game all time, you get one. Now my only problem with that was that I felt the game we should not be rewarding lists that kill things. I think one fourth point or fourth point we should have been around like you know having board presence. That's like you know who if you have a unit in all four quadrants of the table you get that point. Like but so for me that was uh, that was my only kind of like concern out of the event. But, I mean, how do you feel, Alex, about it? Like like in the first day? Well, I mean, I, I fully agree with you. Um, in terms of
0: feedback, uh, the first realm, it really hurts armies that are not of a higher caliber. Um, I will say on the flip side, however, um, like the conflict uh, – clon- I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. The, the flamers inch list.
2: <laughs> eternal uh,
0: Confligation. Perfect. confligation What okay whatever um, <laughs> that one would probably be a little harder against certain matchups like an OVR matchup for instance in that first round because nothing's going to have the rend sure it's still going to do the d3 damage but with no rend on any range like KO or those armies it does kind of make them have to do a complete uphill battle um but you know armies that are have a lot of weight of dice become a lot more helpful um i would say i do completely agree with you however the um overall the armies that are of a higher caliber uh, in this current meta would not have to suffer that much compared to more mid mid tier meta armies and i agree uh, as someone who's, who played night hunt for a majority of the last season not a big fan of categorizing armies by by type rather than say players instead um
1: Yeah, it's funny. One of these days, I'll have to uh, talk to you guys a little bit about some of the background on those classifications, too. You'll you'll enjoy where I come from on that.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Uh, However... That one, first one, yeah, I agree. Uh, we co- probably could have gone elsewhere. And for this event, every single realm did have a realm, fe- uh, one of the five realm, uh, f- realm features for uh, of six that were involved. You know, of course, a roll of one or just the first one in any realm is just no effect. Uh, he did not choose a realmscape that did not have an effect. Um, and you know, always having just one where there's just nothing going on there. Is, I think is fine. Um, I did like how he didn't allow malign sorcery spells, but he allowed whatever was on the, and he had a printout on every single t- uh, table for all five rounds. So you, you know, you already well knew what was gonna, what realm you were gonna play from the mission packet, but you, uh, or I mean, what uh, mission you were gonna play. But uh, each of the five pages on each table uh, stapled together. Had the uh, mission on one side, it was the exact copy and paste from the rulebook, and then the other side, copy and pasted, was uh, the uh, the realm mm-hmm. from the rulebook itself. So you could use the command ability and that one spell, and then that's it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so anything
0: that exactly that one spell it came with, um, and the one or two command abilities that that realm would come with, since you know shadow or uh, yeah shadow and and shyish both have two command abilities. Um, that being said. The second mission was relatively rough I I think for a lot of players not being able to run unless you had fly
2: um it's, and it, then it's I it's just because it was battle for the pass like if it wasn't battle for the pass I think it would have been better but whatever. yeah yeah some and, some um one
3: of those missions that have just an 18 inch gap between them so that slower armies are not as heavily punished by loss of run rolls that would have been much uh, a much safer bet for the can't run if you don't have fly I think yeah. I'd have oh, to yeah, that's why it.
1: I that's why I always recommend that you have to carefully patch, pair the mission with the realmscape. Like, these things, there's beautiful combinations out there, but there are ones that really can affect certain armies, and that's what we have to avoid.
0: Hey, my apologies. What was the third realm, realm feature? Do you remember that, Jeremy? I'm already forgetting, because it wasn't on the pack.
1: Oh, yeah, it was,
2: uh, everything is sinister. So it was... It was, oh no, that's, oh, yeah. the last, that, that's the last Realmscape feature.
0: No, it was Realm of Fire, was our final one. Oh, oh, day yeah, one.
2: Right. No, no, no. Day three was Realm of Fire one, which was which actually, I ended up winning. Uh, funny story. Uh, my opponent, like, basically knew he could win the game against me, which was, Dirk, uh, by the way, our opponent was name is Dirk, and he was playing Nighthaunt, and he basically. Uh, did something which I think all Nihon players have to do the first, you know once in their in their life uh, you know professional gaming or whatever competitive gaming experience, which is I'm gonna charge OBR and see what happens, and he did, and then they all died, and then he was like I'm never doing that again. Uh, so he spent the rest of the game sniping my general so he would get a, a point, like even though like he knew he was gonna lose a mission, he was just gonna kill my general, which he did, uh, and then his general tr- kept running away trying to like survive and the last possible turn he 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 flew further than six inches we were, you know forcing him to roll d6 Oh, that's uh, what it was yeah. yeah and then he rolled a six took d3 mortal wounds and died and <laughs> that's how i got like i don't think I, I i didn't get max points but i got 14 under 15 because his general died because they ran away and my general died because 40 chain rasp with Uh, wave of terror killed him, even though he had a two up, you know, two up save. So the moral of the story is that when you give people secondary missions, they will try to play for it, which if the audience pays attention will become important on my round five match. Um, But yeah, that was my first day was consensus was Rome skip features and mission pairings is important. um, And I feel like round two could have been better you know, for mission parent could have been better. Effectively round one, that realm skip she shouldn't even be in the book. Like shouldn't even never be used. <laughs> Period. <laughs> so that's my key takeaway.
0: Well, you know, let's talk about it then. Let's talk about your day one in a nutshell.
2: No, that was it. That was my day one in a nutshell. Let's talk about. I'm day talking three. about.
0: Talking and, about who you played. We, we had a long oh, discussion yeah. about these realmscapes, sir. I
2: played Day, uh, Ground 1, which is a Mag Kin player, which was one of the reasons why Ren, him ignoring Ren didn't... Or me ignoring Ren didn't matter because he literally didn't have any. Uh, and then uh, his Greater Clean 1 ended up having an effect of like 25 wounds. Because, yeah. Anyway. And then Round 2, I played Hana, which I've already talked about. And then Round 3, I played Dirk, which was a Home player, who basically... After his first turn, Alpha Strike that didn't work. Uh, basically, uh, only try to kill my general, and that was the end of the game. So that was my day one in a nutshell. So some of them, some of you probably think, "Wow, Jeremy sounds like you had an easy first day," and I did, which allowed, it cost me the difference between day, uh, round uh, between third place and fourth place in the overall tournament. But what about you, Alex? How was your first day?
0: Yeah, well, you know uh, that added rend didn't. Uh... Didn't help my first round opponent. It was a Portland local, Nate Hobert. He's a great guy. Never played him before, but uh, had a bunch of shooting, um, uh, you know, shooting Ogre ma Tribes list. Um, so not being able to have the rend on those Iron Blasters kind of hurt. Uh, round two was against a legion of sacrament guy and like your like your game against hannah he was told by a bunch of people who i was ahead of time and it kind of got into his head but i started like telling him some stuff about how to play the army and gave him a bunch of tips on like his next rounds and what to try to do so he seemed very appreciative of that um round three was actually my hardest possible matchup um uh, but it shouldn't have been yet again you walked by the table jeremy and i think you said something uh along the lines of i swear to god if you lose to to KO one more time in an event, and you didn't actually kind of place a threat there. You just kind of kept that open ended. um I, I could be wrong about that, though.
2: Oh no, I, there was definitely a threat, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll make that a secret. We'll make it a I, secret. Okay. I, I mean,
3: uh, I, I remember uh, I saw that it was coming close to like five minutes left in the round, and your game had not been finished yet, and I was like, oh god, please don't lose to KO again, Alex.
0: No, and this one was really interesting. It actually plays a role. Uh, it, it's a topic that's uh, very similar to what we had just talked about with the hidden agendas too. I mean, he had an aether chemist, a navigator, an engine uh, uh, master, and it was a Beric Zifflin list with you know, uh, unit of twenty archonot, unit of ten Arcanaut, and a frigate as battle line. His name is Miles, and, by the way. Yeah, his name is Miles. Um, specifically, you know, this uh, this uh, buddy, this pal uh, in particular, uh, he. Uh, He's a local, I believe, of the yep. uh, Washington area. Miles Benjamin, specifically. Yep. Um, you know, his list uh, has also the um, not the big big ship. He's got the um, uh, he, well, he's got the gun, gunstock and um, uh, escort wing, and he's got the frigate in it as well, and then the gunstock hauler with and one gunstock yeah. hauler had con- collapsible compartments, which is really helpful. He kept two of his characters in there um and he was able to uh you know keep them alive for quite a long time but the thing was turn one uh i had way less drops than him so i gave him turn one uh he warped lightning vortex a huge portion of my army and i totally forgot that he had it in his list so and turn one he rolled a bunch of sixes on his warp lightning vortex so john you know as a scaven player yep. he was dealing down some damage right so a well-placed oh, yeah a well placed warp lightning vortex ended up turning both units of stalkers down to one one stalker instead of three one of them had a wound left or had uh, three wounds left the other one was fully loaded one wound was done to one of the two morgas My general lost two wounds. My bone shaper was down to one wound. My harvester was down to five wounds out of 10. And I lost some more tech guard that I didn't regrow from uh, the, uh, from the harvester as well. And nothing over there had fly anymore. Uh, Well, rather the, the, the uh, Morgas no longer had fly because of the Warp Lightning Vortex. And so he had just had a fantastic first turn against me. And then in my turn, walking on objectives that were deadly, I like lost three uh, three more tech for Mortal Wounds. It was very painful. He was looking at me and he was like, this is not your game. Um, but I ended up having an incredible turn one for myself anyways, and almost completely kind of wiping the where the majority of his army was and kind of cracking them down by uh, uh really... Going, I rolled very well for the Morgas, and I cracked the frigate in one round of combat. Um, and and you know, he couldn't fit, I didn't realize how the uh, uh disembark rules were or the emergency redeployer or whatever for the frigate, and he wasn't able to fit the whole unit um, of thunders that he had inside there, so he lost a bunch in that in that turn alone. But um, it ended up all he had left was his 20 man Arcanaut company, and I had a good portion of my army, but he had gotten a couple of or he had gotten a double turn on me, which was incredibly clutch. And in the end, it ended up being 17 to 18. So he would have beaten me by one. But I had a hidden agenda that was an end of game one. So it ended up being 19, or it ended up being 20 to 18 instead. So it was one of those things where he knew the score well enough and he had already gotten his hidden agenda. But then I knew that I still had my hidden agenda unlocked. So he might've been wrapping up that mission going, great, I've beaten him. And I was thinking the exact opposite, which can be tricky and which isn't, which is still fair play. But this goes to the thing that I was talking about earlier with possible feel baddies Now he didn't feel bad. He was like, ah, crap. You took one of those hidden agendas, didn't you? And I was like, yep. And I, I made a few jokes about it at the end. But this is definitely something that, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, was, it was brutal. Um,
1: that Man, that sounds happened. rough, dude, but you pulled it off, right? Pulled it off, pulled it off. Would you want to jump
0: into uh, jump into uh, day 2 as well? Yeah,
1: and and I got to say right right now, okay, is Garrett and I, the rest of our team were following BCP, day 1 ends and we're looking at what was it? Five undefeated players. Right? Five undefeated players. Three of you had the same score. Is that is that correct, Garrett? Is that I'm remembering this correctly?
3: Uh-huh. There were two people with a perfect score and three people with a uh, score tied for third place,
1: and all and that was Alex and Jeremy and one other person, correct?
3: Yeah, and a uh, big Wah, uh orc player, Matt something. Yeah, yeah. So we were
1: had a lot of discussion and a lot of figuring out. Is would would Alex and Jeremy play each other in round four, boys? What happened?
0: Well, we'll talk about that in just a sec. So day two, it's Sunday. We had a few drinks the night before, had a good sleep. Um, Not too much to do past 10 p.m. in uh, Bremerton, but the bars are always real nice anyways. We started with day two. I'm sorry, what? And cheap. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they were cheap. They were at least cheaper than (laughs) Portland here. Cheaper than Seattle by a margin. Uh, But, you know, day two. We were starting it off. Uh, let's talk about your round four, Jeremy. We, uh, Garrett mentioned Matt, Matt Kangster. He is a Victoria's Secret guy, real great dude. Um, brings a lot of fun lists and is a smart player too. How did that game end up working for you?
2: Uh, so I'm going to break it down in, in three ways. First, Matt Koninger's list is one of my favorite big wall lists. I think it's probably the best list you can build at a big wall right now. Uh, until somebody proves me otherwise, he basically brings uh, a sh- buttload of hard boys, and then about four war chanters, uh, war dog prophet, and a weird num shaman. So, effectively, in every game on turn one, he generates the like something around like twenty two war points, which allows him to uh, basically uh, get all the bonuses outside of the extra. Um, extra WA attack if he chooses to spend the war points but the point of the matter is that no only can he consistently choose to get the teleportation spell over like a plus two to cast uh but he also gets like the plus one to hit and the plus one to wound and all that jazz right so his list is designed around delivering hard boys with you know basically two damage hitting on twos winning on twos and when they die on a four up for a CP, he can uh, bring them back you know, anywhere on the table. Yep. Six inches away from the battlefield, and nine inches away from. It. His list is phenomenal. And I've played it before at the RTT you ran, Alex. And the only reason I beat him in that RTT is because he got to the table. I somehow the Baba Yaga presence (laughs) came and he forgot what the mission was and allowed me to win, even though he was literally shoving uh, my shit in in that game. So what ended up happening in this game is uh, we were, you know, me and Alex were testing this list for this OBR list. And I got into a position where I put the Harbinger's in basically threat range of his characters and since of the terrain we were set up on the table they were basically high up in this like building which made it very unlikely the orcs were going to be able to get a charge even though they had like plus three inches to charge you know once again using advantage of terrain and fly keyword to you know uh, versus my opponent it put him in this awkward position where he didn't have a good way to like counter the morgast and Effectively, the game was written on when the Morghast managed to charge uh, his uh, weird knob shaman, which is his general, which is valued as an additional point in the game for me because it's, you know, you get an additional secondary point if you kill the general, and also gives him his his spell to allow him to teleport his iron jaws. So the two Morghasts went in and just nuked him. But at the same time, in that same turn, he... Uh, unfortunately, allowed me a pocket pocket of of a charge for the harvester to charge his war chanter from the battalion. <laughs> I him hard boys. Wow! So in that one combat phase, not only did I nuke the the war chanter that brings back hard boys. Actually, he was my first activation because I really wanted him dead. And then my second activation was the Morgas killing his weird knob shaman. So, in that one turn, I managed to rob him of both the respawning war- hard boys and the um, uh, basically teleportation mechanic. So, at this point, the game was fair. And I say fair as in the term, like, there is no more shenanigans. There is no more respawning of hard boys. This is just going to be a brawl for the rest of the game. So, he killed the general over the next few turns because that's what he needed to focus on to get additional points. And the thing is, this was the mission with the best realmscape feature for him against uh, OBR. It was a realm of uh, light with, if you spend a command point, you get to strike at the com- start of the combat phase. Yep. But you to bypass uh, on your turn, the OBR shield wall mechanic. And he did. And the turn he got to in combat with the 20 Mortec guards, he just basically nuked them because they couldn't get reroll saves. And that was, you know, that's how they died. But it was, already after the characters died so like it was kind of like at this point he was just going to be fighting uphill for the rest of the game and that's how it ended up being so my round four opponent i love his list i think it's a great wall list if he just gets a more practice with it he will basically be probably one of the best destruction players in the country uh, because it is just absolutely terrifying on the table it's it just wrecks people and it's consistent and it plays to one of the shortcomings of orcs, which is it has mobility. It has late game threats through respawning hard boys. All he needs to do is make sure those characters don't die. So yeah, that's my round four. How about wow. You that sounded
1: talk? awesome. You had me looking on eBay for our boys while you were talking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and And like Jeremy said, he is a fantastic player. So yeah, with, uh, a lot more practice it is going to be a very rough army to beat and he's actually going to be at rose city wrath too so john not only will you be able to meet him but you might even play him oh fun mm-hmm.
3: you should grudge match him round fun. one john
1: fun yeah yeah i'm i'm oh <laughs> i I'm, <laughs> we'll see what i end up bringing hey hey <laughs> uh, is anyone borrowing your fire slayers uh this weekend <laughs> no no one is <laughs>
0: Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Um, before you go into your round five, however, Jeremy, I want to talk about my rounds four and five real quick because, um, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot and a little to say about them for sure. Um, I played Matthew Seaman on my round four uh, for uh, that same mission. Um, he only had like 30 models in his army. It was a Stormcast one. I actually played him with the Hammer two weeks prior um, at Battle of the Pass, which was round three of the Hammer. Um, so he knew my list a little bit since it had changed pretty dramatically. But he knew enough to know way better target priority, which was great. Um, but it was one of those things where our our table was like a uh, oasisy, um, uh, like sand desert table that had large, very very large pieces of terrain on the table. I only had one spot I could put my um, my bone type nexus down on, but because of that, with all terrain counting as minus one to hit if you were in it, um almost my whole army had a huge boon the whole turn game because almost immediately my army was just in cover the whole, the whole game. And uh, uh, make, be, having OBRB minus one to hit against a shooty army, or, or really it was just Vanguard that was the shooty. And then for, uh, four concussors, you know, it, it was one of those games where it, it just didn't go in his favor. Um, my round five, however, was uh, the, I don't want to call it a boogeyman list because it's definitely not a boogeyman list. It wasn't. You weren't playing it, Jeremy. How do I say it? It was the, uh, it was the the list to beat, though. It was the um what the internet would call the boogeyman list, right? It was the it's your dark one, the meta. meta- list. It's your, yeah, it's, dark horse it's, list. It's your dark
2: horse list, yeah.
0: Yeah, and this was uh the list that was run by our friend and regular TO at uh, Gamers Haven in Spokane, um, Jace. Um, you know, Jace is a real great guy, real smart player. Um, and he brought his Disciples of Zinch. And it none of the Disciples of Zinch players had the same list at this event. You know, uh, like you'll talk about with your round five, the round five Zinch list. Matt's list was completely different than Jace. And Jace actually played uh, Matt in round, uh, round five, or round four, rather, that first start of day two. And uh, he ended up beating Jace. Uh, in this mission. But, you know, Jace had a change host. It was uh, Lord of Change and a change uh, caster, two exalted flamers, two units of three flamers, two units of six flamers, and 20 pink horrors. That is no bullshit. It's 83 wounds, but honestly, you might as well just add an, an extra 100 to it. It's, it's or not a, an extra 100, add another 80 to it. So that is, in fact, uh, 163 wounds, but they don't tell you that on face value. Um, This one was a hard one for me, but because he, I didn't know that change host was a one drop army. So, you know, him knowing how the game is played waited. And so I said, well, fuck it. You know, if he's, if he knows that I'm a one, that he's a one drop army, I might as well go unit by unit on my deployment. And so we did. And one, once I was uh, one away, he just dropped his whole army and he gave me first turn um, as he should have Um, for round five. Uh, that made things very interesting for me um, because I uh, I am already forgetting what the mission. Oh, shifting objectives. And shifting objectives is actually one that I've consistently done poorly on uh, at OVO, at Nova, at a lot of different games. This is usually the one that I end up losing on. Um, and uh, round one, uh, because of the Catacrosian death Deathglave, I get the extra uh, before. Now that I know that I'm going first, I move my uh, my my. Uh, battalion six inches forward and then i do hunt and kill an extra three inch move for the stalkers i get the extra three inches for the harbringers, and uh jeremy you're gonna get very mad at me about this i know you're gonna get very mad about this already mad but (laughs) rules that benefited me i had not used for almost the entire event not until the fifth round um one of which was uh, well, one of which actually never came into play. I had totally forgotten that after you make a charge with the gen or with the leech clavos that uh, or cavalos that you can roll dice and possibly do mortal wounds. Super swingy, but uh, it never really it didn't come into play in this mission. But I remembered it in the mission. Um, and then this is the one that's going to hurt. Ah, oh, God, I really hate to tell you this. Ah, uh, well, let's hear I, it,
1: Alex. Let's hear it. Lay I use
0: shame before the world. <clears throat> I used two dice to charge the harbingers the entire event. <sighs> Okay, there. I what? It. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. my
3: God! The whole yeah. point of taking harbingers yeah. over archive. What
0: are you? Hey, what is wrong with you? I went into round five going the four, through, the same uh, thing. with. I went into round five undefeated, not rolling an additional dice to charge. So before we start wagging fingers, I did perfectly fine without it. But it's something that I didn't use. But I remembered right before i charged against Chase because he had put almost his entire army bubble wrapped by the 20 uh, pink cores but then i rolled a um i didn't roll great i rolled relatively average i think i rolled like a 13 inch charge slightly above average with the harbingers but i was three inches away from his army um or or, or maybe four inches away something like that so almost immediately i am uh in his back line and i had the chance to attack his keeper of secrets but i knew it was or not keeper of secrets lord of change but i knew he was minus one to hit so instead of doing that i uh went for the exalted flamers and the flamers i ended up killing three flamers and an exalted flamer from the morgas alone and then both units of stalkers made their charge because of the reroll from hunt and kill and both units of stalkers um i didn't roll very well and it was only four stalkers that got into combat instead of all six uh, because I wanted to hold the center objective, uh, which was the priority objective for turn one. But those four stalkers did, with the precision aspect, exactly 20 wounds to the pink horrors. So, or maybe I think a little bit extra. I think I might have done 22 wounds. So I was just barely able to kill his icon, so he couldn't use one of his destiny dice, of course, to bring d6 back. So from there, uh, I ended up losing my battalion in two turns, uh, the Catacrosian Deathclave, but I had locked his army in his deployment in his territory with the exception of uh teleporting you know one teleporting unit a turn um for two or three turns because at that point in uh once he had killed all my stalkers and all my morgas uh i had the option to either move my more tech guard up or try to charge to continue to pin him down and i thankfully pinned him down with a uh, boxcar charge so with that banner that was a 13 inch charge and so then he had to deal with 20 more tech guard who were then later on in cover with the uh with the load of saturation active on them in his turn so they have a five up shrug save instead uh going into his turn so he Took forever to try to kill things, and um, in the end, uh, we were getting down to the wire. He had failed a nine-inch charge in turn three or four, uh, top of turn three or four, in order to try to score the priority objective. Once he didn't, he realized that he was about ten points behind me, and there wasn't really much that he was going to be able to do since my hidden agenda hadn't been revealed, and it was hit ancient heirlooms. So it was going to be—I was going to basically be plus three on where I was already. Uh, up on him so he already knew that the game wasn't going to come through um we then didn't have a lot of time left so he said hey uh, i'm calling it right now um you didn't get my general but you got this you got this you got this and i said hey wait hold on can i just do the things that are relevant in my turn in order to try to kill your general because i had already uh, the morgast eventually did get into combat with the the uh, lord of change he decided to charge a solo morgast um, and he ended up killing him because he only had like one wound left but i got to make my swings before i attacked and brought him down to seven wounds. Um, so in the end, he uh, I do three wounds from the Harvester's uh, ranged attacks. And I move him forward. I don't have a lot left on the table on the side where the general was. Um, but then I roll to charge. And I rolled Snake Eyes. And I was three inches away. And that hurt and uh you know i knew that magic wasn't going to be likely so i didn't worry about trying to uh cast uh miss you know arcane bolt or anything like that um there's a possible a chance that i could have done a real long charge my general into him but he was kind of bubble wrapped with brimstones but uh in the end the snake eyes charge made me not kill his general so out of 15 points possible i earned 14 and with that i'm going to pass round five on over to you jeremy <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, thank you for that recap, uh, because uh, it's important for the audience to know that um, you can watch my games on the stream for Dimensional uh, Dimensional Cascade on Twitch. So really don't have to really explain too much. Also that I, Other than that, I apologize if you can <laughs> hear me going to the bathroom uh, while on the stream, because uh, unfortunately, the TO kept force feeding me beers. He was trying to... You know just get me off my game, but little does he know, like, I always play drunk, so it doesn't really matter. But the point of the matter was that, um, uh, that round five game I played against uh, Matt Beasley, which is one of probably, if not, you know, one of the I would say he's probably the top three Pacific Northwest players in terms of consistent performance. Um, he's very methodical, like, I think he is basically, you know, one of the I would say one of the best players. Yeah, basically short. Oh, totally, hands some, down. Some Madden description of the the meta here: like, if you come here and uh, you're looking for a challenge, and it's not me or Alex, you can basically play Matt Beasley effectively. Um, so, my game against Matt was interesting because it was the first game I got to play against a genius list that made full advantage of uh, the Darkfire Rift. So, I'll, I'll keep it in summary. We played this game, and he basically that one spell alone did 70 percent of his killing in my army. It, it literally single-handedly carried him. I would I feel I mean maybe me Matt have a minor disagreement on that, but in my perspective, it carried it solo did most of the killing the entire game. Now, what ended up happening is I was n- not out of the game at any point. Like it literally came down to, can I win priority? So, short summary is I gave Matt the top of the first turn because I needed to be out of his range. So, losing, you know, it didn't really lose him a, you know, a turn of, you know, casting because he got all of his spade points, but it prevented him from damaging my army. But it did allow him to summon a load of change. I mean, there was no way OBR was going to basically, you know, have an ability to snipe out his casters before they, they start casting. So, there was no win-win out of that, effectively, if I went first. But in retrospect, after the game, every time we had a priority roll, we had four priority rolls after that. Every time I rolled a five, Matt rolled a six. Every time, oh. every time he rolled a two, I rolled a one. So, like, the game played like a game of warm 40k. Very boring. It's basically the moral of the story. No, <laughs> um, he... He played well, like, and on turn five, there was a situation in which at any point, if the objective landed in any of the other objectives, other than the center one, he would have had a hard time getting it on turn five, because I lost a game by one point. So at any point, if I I had a double turn, because he was in a weird position, if I got a double turn, he probably wouldn't have been able to protect his wizards from the onslaught of the rest of the army, especially in the early turns. Uh, and the later turns, if he, I got the priority, I would have been able to position myself to prevent him from being able to score the priority objective on trips that we are playing shifting objective time. So the game ended basically, uh, with him winning by one point. Now in about halfway through the game on turn three, and this is an important story for the audience here. Um, I decided there's a good chance I'm going to lose this game. But I know if I do the following things, there's a good chance I could rob Matt of his first place finish in the event. So I decide, not because I'm altruistic, but because sometimes I think the boogeyman title is appropriate for me. I like to, even in losing, I like to make my opponent feel like they're going to lose. So... (laughs) I do something that probably ended up, I don't think it cost me the game, but it definitely didn't help me in the game, which is focus on his ethereal armor, um, you know, Manticore Sorcerer General with a rerolling 4-up, you know, unrendable save and effectively kill him by the end of the game, Uh, preventing him uh, giving me an additional point, but robbing him of one point. And then he, because of the situation in the game, had no opportunities really to kill my general, robbing him of an additional point for the overall game. So even though Matt won by one point, he only got 13 out of the max 15 points. And I knew that in my head that was the the, the two-point difference from him losing meant that Alex, if Alex got a full-point victory on his last mission, was able to <laughs> leap over Matt, and get first place finish so i felt like gratifying in 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 a way that like you know like even though i was going to lose that there was still a way for me to strike back in a sense effectively uh one even might say i strike from the rear but the point of the matter was the game was (laughs) amazingly played you can watch it on stream and I apologize for the uh, bathroom break apparently that was recorded because I had to take four of them during the game. And unfortunately, one of them was <laughs> recorded. I do apologize for that. Uh, but the, for the audience, if you want to watch a, a game of two top players play a clean game and talk about rules meticulously and not as, in an argumentative way, watch that game. It is phenomenal. So, anyway, that's my my round five uh, game. I ended up finishing fourth. Uh, Derek Bush, I think, beat me on strength of schedule at the end of the day, even though we were tied. And Alex and uh, Matt were tied as well for first place. And, you know, unfortunately to Alex's chagrin, if he actually played his last game and also the fact that he had a, actually a higher strength of schedule, would have finished
1: first for the event. <sighs> really, if he had remembered that third dice to charge, he might have scored one more point in any of his games.
0: Yeah, there were there was an, one other game where I didn't kill the general. You, you Only know, one other game,
2: so that may have done it. Let's talk about the fact that we brought the same two lists, right? For a, little, a brief second, out of the event, the two-man Morgast Harbinger unit as using them as a scapel. Did more work for me and won me more games. Out of five games, I can basically say that the Morgas themselves helped me win the game. On the last game against Matt, I kind of threw them in a reckless charge against Pinkhorns, and I regret it now. But it's not that it's they were never given. I never use them in the position to win the game effectively, and I think that was a mistake. So Morgas, Hamringers, and OBR. Petroflex Elite specifically are a phenomenal option because they give Petroflex or OBR in general an ability to threaten uh, important targets down the table that OBR does not get to do most games if you play uh, a nutrition you know you know base army effectively.
0: Yeah, and it out and and you know it's basically a ranged army with no range so. You know, it's really great for those armies that are like, oh, I'm going to buy a crawler. (laughs) Uh, Looking at all you crawler players. Um, But I actually would say that it also takes a little bit of finesse. I had a lot of reminiscence of Nighthaunt playing with the Catacrosian Deathclade. Like a unit that, like, if your opponent wanted those guys dead, all three of those units can be dead with relative ease in certain situations. Uh, Especially for the Morgas. They're definitely going to be the least durable of the three. Uh, of the three units in that battalion, but if played well, can be phenomenal.
2: I was gonna say too, uh, you're gonna appreciate this, Garrett and John. So, uh, after my game against Matt, he, because uh, Matt is a data scientist like me, he decided yes. to take a time to calculate the odds of him actually winning every priority role that game. And, you know, what would be the odds of that happening? It was literally 5%. Which I thought wow. was glorious because I calculated my win rate was ninety-four percent. So it was like the one game. It was like when you know you are know, like ninety-four plus ninety five is you know close enough to hundred percent. So like the one game, five percent of the time he wins, he won the game. So it it was a beautiful finish to that. Like in a sense, it was mathematically accurate. <laughs>
1: yeah, I call yeah. that mathematical symmetry happened for you. <laughs>
2: Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know,
0: and, and I played him at uh, LVO on round five to get into the top eight. And he is a, like you said, Jeremy, he's a fantastic player and he certainly deserves the win. He and I were, oh, yeah. yeah. We
1: saw him uh, on the live stream as well against Matt Barker, top player. And then he came back with his uh, buddy from Dimensional Cascade and uh, was on the, um, the pair stream as well.
2: Oh, wow. That's great. Oh, Ricky.
1: Uh, yeah, Ricky's a great guy.
0: Yeah, but he ended up getting best painted, in fact, at the event. Oh, nice. He's got- I could
1: see that. He had an amazing-looking army. Plus, the display board is cool.
0: Oh, yes. He's got yeah. lights on his yeah. moon shrine. It is amazing.
2: Yeah. Can we talk uh, about how Mateo took a, you know, was a little, he, he he saw Alex not winning best general, so he gave him best overall for the event. He just felt bad. He just felt bad for
1: Alex. Hey, I need nice. to say something. A little a little gimme award. I, I like that.
0: I got to say something about the best overall. Um, now, my Riptide, la- Riptide last year was in May in 2019. And uh, my, I went four and one at that event. And uh, my first game was my only loss. And it was to a Zinch player. It was to Disciples of Zinch. It was a Witchfire cabin as well. Um, and it was Chris Michelson who unfortunately passed away just a few months after that mm. event. Um, and uh, because of that, and because he actually got best overall last uh, year, um, his nickname was Cat, just C-A-T. And so the best overall award is now called the Cat Award um,
1: in his honor. So, Oh, that explains. I was wondering what was up when I saw your trophy. Oh, that's really cool. So, so I feel... I feel a little warm and
0: fuzzy inside knowing that it's named after him. And the last time I saw him was at that event and he kicked the crap out of me. <laughs>
1: oh, that's so, awesome. And what an honor. And you're the first one to win the cat award. So yeah, <laughs> a little symmetry there as well. That's great.
0: So yeah, definitely a consolation prize for sure. Outside of uh, uh, disappointing Jeremy, even with going undefeated, I find a way to
1: disappoint him. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's bogeyman. how the bogeyman works. He yeah. never lets you have your joy. It's always here. You, you went undefeated. You took second place, and what? You feel bad because Le Bogeyman has put the the air of oppression upon you, thus setting you up for him to beat you the next time. That's what it's all about. You got to understand his psychological game here. He is just fucking with the entire the entirety of the AOS community. He is oppressing us all and winning winning with his his powerful (laughs) psychology
2: psychology is a strong word i was gonna say facts but okay (laughs) really
0: you're really building and reinforcing this narrative john (laughs) well you know that's kind of what i do (laughs) yeah no absolutely
1: you're like you're like jeremy's hype man right now (laughs) well you know it might be a paying position one of these days
0: yeah right Um, i mean i forgot i i think of uh uh i don't i i don't know his name but um uh there are a lot of great, great historical hype man, especially in when we, when we take into account James Brown's hype man. So, oh no, I,
1: I was thinking of, of Keith Ledger in that uh, that movie where he's the knights uh, with the oh, Queen song, yeah, right? Yeah, he yeah. has that that redheaded guy who comes out and talks shit for him every time. Yeah, that's it. Oh, that's amazing. That, that, that would be my goal.
0: <laughs> okay, so everyone, just know John is going to be channeling Chaucer in every event movie. forward. <laughs>
2: In the left corner, today we are playing the undisputed champion of AOSITC since 2019.
3: What, what, was it? the hype man from Night's Tale, wasn't that Alan Turek?
0: Yeah, but he was playing Chaucer.
3: Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hmm uh, Well, boys... That, uh, that about wraps it up tonight. Uh, before we do so, though, I do want to give a shout-out to uh, an event overseas. We did have, of course, the, uh, the Sheffield Slaughter uh, go on. And uh, I believe all three uh, podium winners were one army. Is that right?
2: No. No, no. You're confusing Oh, me. You're I'm podium. the worst. You are the worst. Oh, big wah. the
3: summer smash in australia
2: yeah australia still proving the destruction meta is alive basically
0: yeah, so I think it would be a great thing for uh, all of our listeners to compare uh, the list that uh, AOS Shorts did tweet out, all three of these lists. Fortunately, it doesn't look like they're in BCP. We can even compare it to Matthew's list uh, Matthew Kay's list from Riptide,
1: since uh, we are very big fans of his army. So definitely yeah little- no, did you see who actually won the Sheffield Slaughter? It was Iidenth Deepkin. Idynith Deepkin rising up through the glorious British meta. There, that was pretty. <laughs> glorious British meta.
2: <laughs> can, can I point out to the fact that the English meta shat, shat on the U.S. meta for a year about the Deepkin meta in 2018? They were like, "Oh, Deepkin, that's not a list that matters. Like, that's not an army that matters." And like right now, they're just like they're just eating their, they're just eating their words. Like they're just literally eating them. There are. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that the next week's episode on Wild Water of Gaming. <laughs>
0: no, truly, we actually will be. So if you guys like this episode, do feel free to give us a like on Facebook or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we try our best to post uh, every week on Frontline Gaming's Roll, but we are also on Podbean as well. So if you guys have anything you want to see, do let us know. And uh, yeah. Uh, Give us a review and a like if you can. Otherwise, uh, we hope to hear from you guys next time. And this is going to be Alex, John, Garrett, and Jeremy signing off for the evening.
2: Night, folks. Good night. Drink some scotch. (laughs) Winning is not a sometime thing, it's an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while,
1: and you don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit.